must be many people in this room who have done this. But I want you to put your hand up if you made a New Year's resolution and you're still doing it. Okay, quite a few people. Good on you guys. I made a few this year. Some I've been better at than others. But let's say I made a 2022 New Year's resolution to have the ideal morning routine. Let's say that I would wake up at 5 a.m., I would do a face mask, have a long hot shower, do a 10k run, um, and make a green smoothie. Now, who are the two people in this room who can tell you that that was not my 2022 New Year's resolution and that I did not do this? Not you guys. It's my siblings, right? Katie and Lockie, who are both youth leaders here. They are the two people who can tell you that I did not do that every single day this year. And they for sure would be the first people to call me out publicly if I ever claim to do something like that. Your siblings tend to know the truth about who you are and how you live. I'm sure we've all been in that situation where we had another sibling or a cousin maybe tell on us to our parents or grandparents. That's just so annoying, isn't it? Well, this time at Restore, we're going to be studying a book of the Bible written by Jesus' brother, or technically his half-brother, James. And I think if anyone knew that Jesus was lying about the whole dying and coming to life thing, it would be James, right? Like if Lockie came home tomorrow and said that he was God and had risen from the dead, I'd have a few questions. <laughs> but I think the fact that James, who initially didn't believe in Jesus, but then later came to believe in him, ended up becoming a leader of the church, saw Jesus when he was risen from the dead, and wrote this letter, is such good evidence that Jesus was telling the truth about who he is. You know, James was there with Jesus. He knew him well. He lived alongside him. Even at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, his own family thought that he was out of his mind. But James's letter tells us the truth about who Jesus is. So we're going to do a super quick intro into that so you guys know what we're talking about. Uh, the book of James on the next slide. Uh, there's a couple of different Jameses that could have written this book, but it's most likely James, Jesus' half-brother. And James was actually killed for his faith later on in life. James wrote it to Christians, many of whom had been scattered due to persecution. When did James write it? He wrote it around 50 AD, uh, which means that it's actually probably one of the first New Testament letters to be written, way before Paul's letters. And so that means James wrote this roughly 15 years after Jesus died. And the last point there, why did James write it? James was writing to Christians who were struggling with, get this, a bunch of issues in their personal life and a bunch of issues in their church. The Christians were going through hard times. They were struggling with temptation. They were showing some favoritism. They were worldly. They were immature. And they failed to live out their faith. They said they were Christians, but they didn't live that out. But, like, we don't struggle with any of those issues today, do we? I think we do. So in today's passage, we have one big idea. And that big idea we're going to learn is that trials or hard times can be used to help us persevere and become mature followers of Jesus. And so our first point up there on the screen is that Christians actually have a different way to think about hard times. So let's have a look at the Bible passage that Lauren just read out for us earlier. 
Verse 2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So first of all, guys, notice that this verse says that Christians should expect trials. It's not if you face trials, it's when you face trials. If you become a Christian, your life is not suddenly all rainbows and butterflies. You will have hard times. And secondly, notice that James says to consider our trials pure joy. Consider means to think about something, to think about your trials differently. Now, what does this mean? Does, does considering things joy mean we have to be happy all the time? Does it mean we have to be happy about things like cancer or relationship breakdowns or natural disasters or other things in our lives? Of course not. It doesn't mean we have to be happy that way. It is right and good to be sad sometimes. And I love how one, how one Christian author put it. She said this. She said, when I desperately want to know why hard things happen, I remember that Jesus had all the answers and he still went. She's talking about when Jesus' friend passed away. Jesus had all the answers to everything in the world and he was still sad when his friend died. But what James is saying here is that we should overall see our hard times differently than a non-Christian. To think about it with overall joy because we know something. We know that God is wise and good and powerful and loving, that he can use even our hard times to help us persevere and to ultimately become mature in our faith. It's like God gives us glasses with a different way to view our hard times. God gives us wisdom to look at our hard times that we're going through and just say that this sucks, but I trust that God is good. I trust that he loves me even though I'm in this really hard situation. I trust that God's going to help me to grow. He's going to teach me something. He's going to help me love and serve others. And I just think that that's amazing. How amazing is it that we have a God who can make beautiful things out of broken things? I just think that's incredible. Atheists, you see, don't have a good answer to suffering. Atheists say it's random, it's natural selection, it's survival of the fittest. But we have a God who says, no, no, I'm so loving and so wise and so good that I can even take the messy things and make them into a masterpiece by God's power. Now, I don't know if anyone else does this, but I generally like to listen to podcasts and videos on double speed. Any crazy people in the room like that? Or just me? I just feel like it's more interesting because some people talk really slow and I just hate it. And if I listen to things on double speed, I can listen to like twice as much and I feel super productive. So that's just a little crap about me. But sometimes I wish that God operated on double speed, that he could snap his fingers and speed up the process of becoming a mature Christian. That overnight I could be someone who was you know, unwise and then wise, someone who was immature, and someone who is mature. But I'm afraid the Christian life doesn't often work like this. You rarely become mature in your faith overnight. It's going through trials over time, persevering and trusting in God that makes you mature. It's like we are the clay and God 
is the potter. God is moulding us. He's getting rid of impurities. He's getting rid of bitterness and anger and pride and jealousy. And he's building us into something beautiful, filled with love, joy, peace, patience, all the fruits of the Spirit. I remember a few years ago, myself and Sam and Isaac and a few others were going through a really difficult time in ministry. It's just really hard and there was a lot weighing on our shoulders. But during that time, we all said to each other, count it as joy, consider it joy. It came a verse that was really impressed upon us. And we said that to remind each other that there is a bigger purpose. There is a broader story of Jesus' life and mission and gospel that we get to live out. Even if we can't see the answer to why we're struggling in one specific moment. So you might be saying, thinking, I want that, Nikki. I want to be able to see my trials like this. I want to be able to see my hard times with joy. I want to be able to see my trials God's way. How do I do that? Well, the next verses tell us how to do that. And that brings us to our second point, which is God will help you to think wisely about your hard times. Verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So when you need wisdom to ask God why you may be going through a certain thing or struggling, and you need help to see this joy, ask God, pray, ask him to change your point of view from why me, God, why do I have to go through this, to what could God be using situation. How can he be glorifying himself through this? Ask him to change your perspective. And I just want you guys to notice the generosity and the gentleness of God in these verses. God is compassionate to people who are suffering. Look at what James says. He says, God gives wisdom without finding fault. And so that means there's no silly questions when you're pouring out your heart to God. God doesn't say, you again, stop playing me. Or I gave you wisdom last time, but you don't get any more. God gives generously. He gives graciously. And so if you ask God, he will give you the wisdom to see your circumstance from his perspective. And he will show you how to grow in maturity and how to keep going and persevering in your faith. But there is a condition. James tells us that in the next verses. There's something that you have to believe when you ask for wisdom. And that brings us to our third point. Our third point is when you ask God for wisdom, believe he is able to help you and believe that he loves you. Have a look at verses 6 to 8. But when you ask, James says, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all things. So what James is saying is that when you ask God for wisdom to count things as joy, you shouldn't be conflicted about God, his intentions. You shouldn't be thinking, oh, God is good, and then maybe God doesn't know what's best for me, and God loves me, or maybe he doesn't know everything. You should be conflicted. And we also shouldn't ask half-heartedly. That doesn't give God the respect and honour that he deserves. Hopefully this illustration will help. A few years ago, I got my wisdom teeth out, which was painful for me, but hilarious for my family and friends. And it was the first time I had ever really had a general anesthetic. Super weird experience if you haven't had it. But before I had the surgery, I had to be confident about two things. 
from the surgeon. First of all, I had to believe that the surgeon was actually able to do the surgery, that he had the skills, the expertise, the wisdom to not kill me while I was under general anesthetic. The second thing I had to believe, that this surgeon was going to help me, not harm me and, you know, do something to mess up the procedure, that he had good intentions. And it's the same thing here with asking for wisdom from God. What James is saying is that when we ask for wisdom, we have to believe, number one, that God is actually able to give us that wisdom. And number two, we have to believe that God is good and kind and wants to help us, not harm us. That, that's what it means to, um, that's what it means to ask without doubting. That's what it means to be single-minded, not double-minded, what these verses say. So that's all a little bit theoretical at this point, but I want to give you guys an example of an actual person who considered their trial as joy. And her name is Joni Erickson Tata. Joni was 17 years old when a diving accident left her a quadriplegic, not able to move her arms or her legs. And throughout the course of her life, she really struggled with God. Why did this happen to me? And she went on to write multiple books, speak at many conferences, and share her story with thousands of people. And here's what she has to say about considering her accident joy. I just want to read this for you guys because I think it's amazing. She said, God engineered the circumstances of her accident she needs. He used them to prove himself as well as my loyalty. Not everyone had this privilege. I felt there were only a few people God cared for in such a special way that he would trust them with this kind of experience. This understanding left me relaxed and comfortable as I relied on his love exercising newly learned trust. I saw that my injury was not a tragedy, but a gift God was using to help conform me to the image of Christ, something that would mean my ultimate satisfaction, my happiness, even my joy. How amazing is that? She had the gift and wisdom from God to see her trials as joy. And guys, you know that we follow the life of Jesus. And I just want to close with some verses from Hebrews. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now I'm going to ask a really obvious question. Is crucifixion enjoyable? No, it's painful, it's torturous. But what does this verse say? It says, for the joy set before him, Jesus was able to endure crucifixion. What was that joy? It was the joy of saving his people from sin and death. With that perspective, Jesus was able to go through even crucifixion. And now Jesus invites us, his followers, to have that very same perspective in our own lives. So the last verse that Lauren had read out in verse 12 says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life the Lord has promised to those who love him. 
So if you guys are in a hard situation, if you feel like you're going through a hard time or a trial, just know that God has a bigger purpose for that moment. Even if you can't see it, and he loves his children. And at the end of your life, if you trust in Jesus and you're in heaven, you look back on this life, you will see how everything fits together. So if you're not a Christian, you're just here visiting us tonight, we would love for you to consider whether what you heard tonight could change your life. Maybe you're a little bit like James who wrote this book, who didn't initially believe in Jesus, but then something changed and he did. And if you're already a Christian and a follower of Jesus, my challenge to you is to really think hard about whether following Jesus has changed the way you think about your hard times. Because it should. Are you able to really believe without doubting that God wants what's best for you, even if it's painful at the time? Because we have a God who is gentle and gracious and good. So let's pray in response to that. And because we all need some prayer to help us to do this. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are good and gracious and kind. And Lord, we know there are a bunch of people in this room who are going through some really hard times right now. And we pray that even in the sadness, even in the hard times, that you would help us to trust you, to trust that you are good, to trust that you have a bigger purpose for our hard times. Lord, please help us all to persevere in our faith, to not give up on you as we go through these trials and to encourage each other every time we meet together to not give up on the way. Uh, we just pray that you would help us to reach out to others with this message um, and that we, we thank you for who you are and we thank you for what your son did for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.